Welcome to the Do Good to Lead Well podcast. If you're passionate about mastering self-leadership, then you're in the right place. I have always been curious about and fascinated by the pursuit of leadership excellence. This is why I pursued my PhD in psychology with a specialization in business, and I've continued to dedicate my career to understanding the science and practice of positive leadership. My name is Craig Dowden. I'm a best-selling author, award-winning keynote speaker, executive coach, and member of the Forbes Coaches Council. Each week, I'll bring you world-class content on the science and practice of positive leadership. Through my conversations with best-selling authors, TED speakers, and top CEOs, you'll be able to leverage their insights and experience so you can maximize your potential and be the leader the world needs you to be. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Do Good to Lead Well webinar and podcast series. Great to have you here today. Really excited about diving into another fascinating conversation about leadership. For those of you who are return attendees for the live program and listeners to the podcast, welcome back. For those of you who are new, I'm your host, Craig Dowden, and as a result of your ongoing support, I want to mention again, it's just been uh, extraordinary for me and the team here to observe. We are now ranked in the top 0.5% of podcasts in the world. That's just came across our desk last week. And so, again, we cannot thank you enough for your ongoing support, your feedback, your comments, your enthusiasm, your shares. It's just been absolutely wonderful. So very heartfelt thank you today. And one of the other major reasons why the podcast has had such a a positive response is because I have the amazing good fortune to speak with incredible chief executives about their leadership journey, about their leadership experiences. And today is no exception. I'm speaking with Christina Dove, who's the president and CEO of the Newfoundland Chocolate Company. And I should say, uh, what made this extra special for me, a couple of things. Number one, what an awesome (laughs) Halloween themed or inspired episode, considering Tuesday was Halloween. And secondarily, as a native Newfoundlander, it's extra special when I have a chance to talk with chief executives from my home province. For the Newfoundland Chocolate Company, from its humble beginnings in St. John's, it has grown internationally and has expanded significantly since its inception. The company this year is celebrating its 15-year anniversary. Christina also is pursuing a PhD in medicine at Memorial University. And just, I can't wait to dive in. I have to say, uh, I love the chocolates, so I can say that I've had them and they're absolutely amazing. So without further ado, Christina, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) I'd love to hear about the origin story for you and the Newfoundland Chocolate Company. I'd love to get into. So what's led us and it's amazing 15 years. So I'd, I'd love to hear about that. 
Sure. I was just going to tell you a little bit about me. I grew up in the East End, St. John's. I can't seem to leave the East End. I moved to a couple of different places, but I'm back in the East End. And that's where we have our factory. So our factory's in the mall. Actually, it's a Tor Bay Road mall. So it's it's in a mall that's been there forever. It was actually a place, my first job, I had my first job there uh, when I was really young. And uh, just up the street was my second job, which was my favorite, which was Holland Nursery. So I've kind of stayed in this little area. Um, I shouldn't say my favorite, actually, besides the chocolate cake that I have now. One of the things for me, besides working, I've always volunteered in everything because I felt like if there was a way for me to get as much experience and for me to figure out what I was best at as fast as I could, it was it was always something that I was pretty uh, heavily involved in. So I, I used to do a lot of volunteering to get experience in mental illness and in uh, addictions, shelters, all kinds of stuff. I, I found that the more I volunteered, the more I felt like there was so much to do. <laughs> there was so much, like there was such a high need and there were so many ways to help. Actually, my parents were like that too. So that was the thread that's even all throughout the chocolate company as well. Another, I guess, aspect of me is art. I, I guess an important thing that's been in my life all throughout my life, of course. It's making the time and energy to always have art in my life. I started doing pottery quite young, which I still, I sell mugs and everything through the through the company. I also make the molds, sometimes specific custom molds in clay first before I, like the brain molds and the mermaid bowls, like stuff, I make them in clay first and then I make it uh, for chocolate molds. I guess uh, over the years, I blended science and art and psychology and counseling, and that's kind of evident. I feel like I'm always pulling on that in the company, especially nowadays. I started uh, doing counseling many years ago and did art therapy, and I found it was an amazing way to reach uh, vulnerable populations. And then on the side, I also sold pottery. So I started to get a little bit into business there, selling pottery. And uh, that's actually where I met my partner, Brent. And we started selling pottery all over Canada and different craft shows. And that's really when we started to look at, I guess, the cho making chocolate. That's always been my favorite uh, snack. I've always thought out different kinds of chocolate. Uh, and so did he. So uh, we started to make our own which I always kind of say, why not try it? Uh, so that's what we did. And I guess fast forward, I'm like speeding along. So if you want to stop and ask questions or whatever, but fast forward to 2007, that's uh, when we started making chocolate, creating recipes in our basement. We had two children by then and we had careers on the side. I shouldn't say on the side. We were making chocolate on the side, I guess. Amen. <laughs> We had a career, so I was working in neurodevelopment and he was working that uh, he did a lot of work in his background was geography, which is where the maps came from. And, the, and the, we started to make the map. And yeah, we just kind of jumped in. Uh, all our neighbors would try our chocolate. Our kids would always be sampling as well. And we just found that all these people were coming out of the woodwork trying our chocolate, which was awesome. So that was a couple of years we had it in our home, in our basement. That's always a crazy time when at the end of the day, you're making chocolate until we are in the night and then you're cleaning it up and getting on to, to work the next day. In 2010, that's when we finally bought our, well, the bank kind of bought it, but we bought uh, our place on Duckworth Street. And that was, yeah, that was quite an amazing 
experience just to take on a building and then start to take on staff. I think we were uh, fairly frightened to death at that. But uh, then we opened uh, a retail store right on the Ducker Street. As soon as we opened in 2010, it just the brand and building a business just started. We just everything increased. Yeah, we started to build our team, started to I guess, build corporate and custom, all our events and our tastings. People wanted to have chocolate tastings and chocolate classes. So I jumped into that and just always reaching out to charities. And that's something that I still do all the time is I feel like what better way (laughs) to fundraise than through chocolate and also create awareness. So we do, we've always done that. We've created truffles and chocolates and custom things just for charities. Early on in the beginning, we wanted to make this awesome quality chocolate. So, you know, of course, I was pulling in with my background in neuro. I was like bringing in the chemistry of the, and the science of bringing berries in and all kinds of nuts. And, and we wanted to make chocolate with no, no preservatives and no artificial stuff. So we actually tend to invest a bit more on equipment so that we wouldn't, we wouldn't need to add preservatives for shelf life, we could just change the science of it, heat it and and freeze it and do different things like that. And I'm still into that. I still do that with the gelato and I still, you know, it's really important for us to maintain that quality without the the oils and stuff that gets uh, injected into our foods all too often. At Duckworth Street, that's where we had all our events and our tastings and we just kept building the brand. It, it was an incredible time. At a time, Johnny, we were asking, I remember we were asking, applying for grants for funding. And I think at first everybody just thought we were cracked because, you know, who starts a chocolate company in, in the middle of a recession in St. John's, Newfoundland? But we were, we, I guess we were a bit nuts with that and just kept moving forward. And then, of course, we started to open little stores. So we had a store in the Avalon Mall. Then we started, I think I'm trying to think of the dates, but we opened in like as a partnership with Parks Canada, we opened Signal Hill, which was pretty cool. Pretty windy, but pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, we actually had a section in front of our store uh, when we first opened and we kept it there for a little while, but it was like beat up tables and chairs that had been blown around outside on the, on the hill because it was just, we had such windy days. And we had it. I, we had a sign there that said, "The windiest place to have a latte." It <laughs> was actually quite a lot of people had pictures done there and everything, which was pretty funny. But yeah, so the partnerships were really important to us, and just trying to be connected to community. And we opened our airport location, and that gave us a chance to almost, I guess, send little little bites of chocolate happiness all over the world. One of the things actually I meant to mention as we were starting the company, one of the important things besides making quality chocolate was about Newfoundland. We wanted to promote the culture and the our pride and just uh, the stories of Newfoundland because it's so it's so rich. We have so much to say. <laughs> and we never run out of material, I find, when we're packaging our chocolates. At one point, uh, one Valentine's Day, we thought, okay, we wanted to have something different besides Happy Valentine's Day on a bar. So we brainstormed, we pulled all our team together and people were throwing in all kinds of things to put on a bar, like God love your cotton socks and yes, missus, and just all these things that we started to put on bars. And it was funny because some of the stuff people threw, people said, We'd never put on a bar. <laughs> like, we're not doing that. But then, and you see like different qualities. 
and then our staff at the time was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. So we had a lot of fun with that. And that first campaign with the NL Sainsbury's, we could not believe it went all across the world. We could not believe we were sending it to Fiji and sending it to, like, we just, <laughs> and Japan, like, we were just amazed. And, and we just thought, my gosh, Newfoundlanders are everywhere because only Newfoundlanders, I was thinking, would appreciate these weird things on Paris. And it's, and it's something that uh, strikes me, that strong Newfoundland connection and then the sayings and then the ingredients and all the things that you talked about, it does feel like a manifestation uh, of yeah. all things Newfoundland. And we've got some great yeah. questions so far. Uh, we've got one from oh, Roger. Sorry. Yeah, great question from Roger saying, it's an amazing origin story of making chocolate kind of on the side. Did you ever envision... Was this part of your master plan and how does it feel you know, with the reach that, that the Newfoundland Chocolate Company has had? What's how, How's that felt? It's been amazing. Like we've been completely like we get so many messages of support. And I remember the first time we went and did a show in Toronto, we went and uh, we had all our chocolates set up and we had it was really cool because we did find that at first and Newfoundlanders were buying the chocolate just to try. And then it was spreading that way. And I remember standing up in the middle of Inner Pier uh, Center in, in Toronto. And this whole bunch of people, there's probably about seven people came running towards us. And they were Newfoundlanders living in Toronto. <laughs> and they were so excited. Like they were so excited that, you know, we had tried this and we were still trying this and that it was starting to take off a bit. And so we've been so lucky with the support that we've been uh, getting from customers and not just Newfoundlanders. I mean, people from all over that send us a note. People send us wonderful notes. People can connect with me on Messenger and, and uh, Facebook. That's nice too, because sometimes you never know if you're doing it right. <laughs> you're just like, oh, you know, it should be nice to hear. But it wasn't a plan, <laughs> um, which is probably not the right answer for a business. But it, it's, it wasn't that we just thought, shag it, we'll try it and see where it goes. <laughs> so we've been lucky, but it's been a lot of hard work. And it's not just been like our team, the people that have worked with us have been incredible for people to just jump in and, you know, go on this crazy chocolate journey with like all kinds of challenges of all kinds of things like we've when we've had power outages our chocolate we have explosions in the factory like chocolate ones it's not health and safety i hope nobody's watching this that's like, <laughs> but um, but uh it's, it's all good and we clean it up right away but it's just crazy it, and but it's fun and it's uh, we try to make it fun no matter what we're going through so i don't think that's answered your question at all but oh it's yeah. great we've done over 60 episodes maybe almost 70 and like now and now we i've not had a guest say shag it so that's absolutely oh, no I, so i was there you go so had another question Aaron was wondering, really appreciate as a as an artist and also working in her own business, how has art influenced your leadership style? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a good question. It's interesting because I find us, I think we are all creative and I think most of us don't think we are. I've taught so many classes and I've worked in so many, with so many different populations. The first thing they say is I can't draw oh my gosh, you don't need to draw. <laughs> like you can do anything. And people, once people find, like they start to experiment in art, I, I found, I love all kinds of uh, mediums of art, but I love clay and I love chocolate. I do sculpt in chocolate now, which is interesting. But as far as the yeah, creativity, I find art is 
for me, that's what helped build this business is the creativity because it's creative. If creating creative thinking, I don't know if that's well said, but it makes you think as you do more art and as you immerse yourself in creative thinking, it makes you think you can do anything. You just got to figure it out. <laughs> and then as far as like pottery and, and like it's, yeah, I found that it's also such a huge calming influence uh, when you start to, when you immerse yourself in art. It is my yoga. Like I do a lot of pottery at home and uh, I do a lot of clay work and chocolate sculptures and stuff. And that uh, I find is very calming. It's immersed throughout the company, I must say. But, and I, I do promote that throughout the company as well Is we hand decorate all our chocolate. And we, that was one of the things that when I started to look at putting machines, I didn't want the machines to replace anyone. I wanted the machine, like the tempering machine and our Hackos machine, uh, which vibrates the chocolate. I wanted those machines to actually take away the agitation that, you know, like the carpal tunnel injuries and the repetitive wrist injuries, anything to make us, like our chocolatiers, do the things they love. We push the chocolates through a machine and it fills the trays and the trays are then shaken so that air bubbles come up and there's detail and that you can see. I'm not really saying this properly, but anyway, we don't have to do that physically now. So instead, we can hand decorate. I wish I could send you, share pictures with you, but we are always making like chocolate shoes and chocolate rubber boots. And I made a mold, uh, a Capelin mold, because I don't like the taste of Capelin. It's kind of gross, but I'm sure some people do. But I, I like the chocolate version instead. So it is quite fun to be open to being creative and to have a culture that encourages that. So that's what I work on all the time. Well, and I love that. And uh, a couple of things, and as people who have uh, tuned into the to the podcast before, you know, I love the similarities in messaging. So as another example, I, and thank you for sharing, uh, Christina, uh, on the impact of art, because I had Todd Church, as he's the best-selling author of Visual Leadership, and he said one of the oh. big challenges, almost word for word, said what you said, where it was like, um. well, I can't, I can't draw. And he was like, that's not creativity that's not visual and we can access those beautiful parts of ourselves and sometimes our own kind of self-limiting beliefs so i love that you shared that the other point that i want to uh, make before uh, my next question is that it's really interesting to hear your journey so i had the privilege and and i mentioned it in the monthly solo episode that that i had last month I visited Heston, so the luxury mattress uh, manufacturer in Sweden. And what's amazing was is that in their case as well, the machinery, what's brought in isn't about replacing people. They all do it by hand. It's to remove things. So moving a mattress was, well, that could cause back injuries and other things. So it's fascinating to hear. And they've been extraordinarily successful, been able to build a global brand and reputation, again, because of those elements. So I just love how these things come together. Another question, and this is really cool. So Stephen was wondering, love the emphasis on creativity, love the emphasis on creative thought and creative thinking. Like, how do you build a culture where that is encouraged and, and manifest and people can bring their ideas to the forefront? What are some things that you feel are essential? Yeah. So I guess with that, I, I'm always in touch with my team. So I work, I still 
work in production. And I include everybody when I'm coming up with recipes, when I'm coming up with different custom uh, sculptures, I do include the team. And I do that with each team, like the production team, packaging team, all our managers. There's not just one marketing product development group. We all share in that. People come up with all kinds of ideas, which are fun and crazy. It's a continuous thing, though, because you want to make sure that everybody has a voice and everybody, some people might not be quick to sing out and let it give an idea. So that's where I find it's me being down on the floor is invaluable because then I can talk to the quiet one, you know, or I can talk to people that aren't so quick to think that their ideas are good. And I'm always trying to come up with different opportunities as far as, okay, coming up with, I've had like sculpture classes where I have the chocolatiers make their own sculptures or uh, even the shoes. People can decorate the shoes in different ways. It's an ongoing thing because I think people typically think Only a couple of people are artistic. So it is an ongoing kind of promotion within the culture because we also do that with marketing. I mean, being creative with marketing, we brainstorm on that just like we did with the NL Sains bars and in our packaging. Yeah, so I guess for me, it's just always, I always have to check in. You know, I always have to make sure I'm connected to to the team to, to get their ideas and to see what possibly we can do with the ideas that they bring to the table. Yeah, so there's, and there's so much potential. Right now we have quite a multicultural, multi-generational team and that's amazing. I find I have people from all over the world of all ages and the neurodiversity is incredible. And what my team brings to me, I have quite a privilege because I always feel like, yeah, I'm stunted in my ideas. And then, yeah, there's just so many people. And, and that comes with people feeling comfortable. So creating that comfort within the culture is also really important. Lots of great comments and great answer, great insight. Thank you. Thank you. I've got a, a follow-up question <laughs> from Eric, who said, I've never heard the expression shagged, yet now it's probably one of my, <laughs> my favorite. Um, I'm going to adopt this as a philosophy. It sounds like resilience. Like it sounds like you've been incredibly resilient at times to take your business and make decisions like hiring staff, going global, those kinds of things. Like, how have you been able to do that? Any advice around how individuals or organizations can build their resiliency? It's it's interesting because, and just to to, to uh, mention about the shag, so we actually did, when I hire a bunch of chocolatiers and I'm training them, and, we're all, and we all train, it's not just me training, we all train together. There's a lot of misshapen and mistakes, like some of our chocolate can have too many nuts or decorated just, you know, in different colors or whatever. So we now sell them as shag ups. <laughs> and it's like one of our top selling products because it's kind of funny, right? And and it's all just, you know, you're kind of humble with it, right? Because <laughs> you know you're gonna make lots of mistakes, but with but that product, yeah, it's it's a it's a pretty uh, popular one. Yeah, it's a, like for me, resilience is just yeah, recovering quickly. There's a lot of self-awareness too in knowing you have to recover quickly and just be as positive, like move forward uh, through anything, any challenges that come at you. I feel like, especially through this pandemic, we've learned so much with that. I mean, before the pandemic, I always tried to 
be as supportive as possible, always equip managers with any resources needed to work with their teams. But I found with the pandemic, there's so much that happened that we just weren't ready for. <laughs> and that is an understatement. It's like the increase in mental illness and so many issues with even food shortages and labor shortages and, you know, all these things. But the anxieties that I, I've seen throughout my team were so high during the pandemic and just making sure that, you know, always reminding them that I was in this with them and that they weren't alone because uh, a huge part of that, I mean, people were isolating and having to isolate it, of course, having to isolate um, with us because we're manufacturing. Um, nobody really worked from home. We, I always remember how tough that was. In 2020, we had we had just moved into this building, this factory that we built in 2019. And it just, in 2020, we had this snowmageddon. I'm sure some people remember that. Lots of snowstorms and lots of power outages. But then the pandemic hit and I having to lay off 111 staff. And I wanted to do it personally, of course, because it's, you know, what I needed to do. And it was just so tough to do that. Because everybody has families and everybody has uh, lives outside of work. It, I remember having to, it's just eight of us left that ran the company. And then keeping, it's almost like you're trying to keep uh, the team that you have on hold, hopefully, even though, you know, I mean, a COVID layoffs uh, helped, but you're trying to keep them from being isolated, but then also trying to keep the company going. <laughs> I feel like as leaders, it's our responsibility to just turn whatever negative is happening into positive. And I know that's easy to say, but really that is always a challenge for us. It's what we're supposed to do. It's our responsibility to do that because we're not just getting up and, and taking care of our families. We're getting up and we're taking care of a team and we're we're responsible for those those people that then go home, you know, we're impacting them as well. So they're going home to their families and yeah, you just, you feel that heaviness, but you want to do whatever you can to keep it resilient. People said like, what an inspiring story. Thank you. That's a, a wonderful example of positive leadership and caring for the people in our organizations. I wish more companies would do that. So lots of fantastic comments there and going back to as well i think it's and i bought one of the i often buy the shag ups when i've been <laughs> and, and I think what i appreciate about what you're sharing and, and i think uh beyond the humor and the fun if you will it's such a powerful lesson in terms of well how do we frame things like how do we look at something so as you said we're not going to do everything perfectly so we have a choice about how we're going to interact and how we're going to deal with that situation and so now mm -hmm. there's that humility that's attached to it. There's the fun attached to it. And it's also the reframing attached to it. And I think it's just such a powerful example that all of us can look at where, you know, in our own lives, how often do we not, we miss make a chocolate or make a mistake. And then we get all versus <laughs> going, okay, how can I turn this around? What, how do I see this? I ask my guests routinely because there's such a powerful focus on leadership and I love Christina, that you've been talking about it and in specific terms, uh, what are the qualities that you feel that leaders need to possess in order to be effective leading their teams or their organizations? I think most important for me is self-awareness. And I know I just talked about that, like 
But it's so important, like, and, and this is something that is ongoing because you always have to be asking, you know, how well do we know ourselves and how, how we are impacting uh, our team and even the things that we go through, all our experiences, good and bad, that'll impact the team if we let it. As far as, yeah, self-awareness is always something to work on. I find having patience as well for ourselves and for our team. Sometimes we have such high expectations of ourselves. We feel like we can do anything and we feel like we should do more, but also our team. We have to allow for what everybody's going through and their perspectives. And that's one of the things that I also, I try to do. I did this a lot before COVID, but then now I'm starting to get back into it because it's so important because we have such a multi culture and lots of diversity within our team. Sometimes people it just naturally go into silos and you, you don't want that. So I started to have these lunch and learns uh, just to make sure that people just didn't know who's working next to them or in their department, but people knew other people outside of the departments and the rest of the, the team. And the lunch and learns were like, I had some people teaching sign language and that was really good, uh, even though I'm terrible at it. I don't, I'm just terrible at it. I'm still working on it. That's so important because you, you always want to know that they are equal and that they all have a voice. And that was actually just to go back to how I set up, how we set up the factory. Within the factory, there's signs and all our racks of chocolate. Some people remember colors, numbers, pictures. Like I try to incorporate everything so that whoever I hire would feel comfortable coming in and saying and feeling like they can communicate and that they have a voice. Everybody interprets differently and you want people to understand why, why that is and to not quickly take, uh, to not quickly judge and to not quickly separate themselves from others. Uh, you just always want that open, honest communication between everybody. I find that that's really important. Absolutely. Well, I'm, and what I love about, and again, lots of comments. Thank you. Thank you. Really interesting. Love yeah, the sure. idea of the lunch and learns. What I really appreciate about what you're sharing as well is that, so how do you create an environment in which you can capitalize or learn from the diversity that's around you? And I think, and I love one of the things you shared, and uh, I've got a couple of follow-up questions on self-awareness from me and from some of the live audience. Sometimes that can be, you mentioned judgment and rush to judgment. And I think that once again, as a quality, it's so important for us to maximize our curiosity and maximize our openness and really experience a situation, an individual, a conversation, looking to absorb as much as we can. And I love you draw attention to that, Christina, because if we quickly move on and in particular through our own particular lens or our own operating system, we miss Beautiful opportunity to expand exactly. our own horizons through that conversation and through knowing these individuals, you know, and I think that's great. Back to self-awareness. So we have a question from the audience. Ben was wondering, this may be a tough question to answer. Any tips for how you can reach someone who isn't self-aware? <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Like, I think... A lot of discussion. Like I feel like I did this with the team before. I'm trying to think of the name of sorry, um, MPTP. It's um, Myers Briggs. Oh yes, yep. 
Yeah, which was awesome. Like things like that. There's games that you can play. It sounds kind of like a scheme, but but there is games that you can play and not so much play, but just things that you can do. Like there's also the birds, uh, there's where you pick your, you know, different bird qualities and stuff. But you can do different things like that where in a manager, like in a team, they can actually assess themselves. And I think because, you know, self-awareness has to come from within. You can't tell people what you think their skill sets are sometimes, you know, like I think it's even more effective if they read through assessment. I find that Briars makes Briars Briggs the most important one for us because I found that that was really effective because it really it helped you figure out how you impact others and how you actually talk to people too and how you react to the way people talk to you. And it is really based on your upbringing and all your experiences up to where you are now. So I find that's been really invaluable to us. And again, thank you. And and what I really appreciate about what you're sharing as well is that self-awareness coming from within and then also that, you know, it's an ongoing journey and we can understand about how we relate to others, how they relate to us and how we interpret them and how they interpret us. And I think there's so much (laughs) that we can do and so much reflection that we can do uh, in that way. I've got a question, another question from Howard wondering, you know, you earlier mentioned when you were talking about hiring in staff, it was like, whoa, (laughs) Just curious about how your leadership philosophy has changed over time or has it changed? Like how, what's your, what's your approach to the leadership been like during this time? I think for me, I'm getting better at communicating. Yeah, yeah, I think for a long time as a leader, and I I wasn't so quick to call myself a leader. I never felt like I was a very good leader. And I think it was because I felt like I had to hold a lot of things back, but I had to do a lot of it myself because I I didn't want to, I was really bad at asking people to do things, you know, like, yeah, to do things. I feel like I've started to be more open about where I am and to involve like the staff. And just as an example, so last year, this I was back in my PhD doing my PhD courses. I was the oldest one, I think, in my PhD program, but that's fine. Um, and then that was indicative. It's funny because I walked into class in uh, medicine and I had all my, it was like a Rodney Dangerfield moment because uh, I don't know if you remember that movie, but uh, when he went back to school and I had all my papers, my binders and my pens and pencils and everybody else had this little, they just all ripped out their little tablets, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, and anyway, just to go back. So I remember studying all the time while I was in production. I think it took people aback seeing their, their CEO suddenly studying things, you know, back to school kind of thing. But I think just making sure that people see me as human, like, because I think sometimes it might look like I know what I'm doing all the time. <laughs> and you don't, you know, you don't want to cause any kind of insecurity of, you know, among staff where, you know, okay, they're not believing in their CEO. You want to be a, a strong leader. But by being a strong leader, you have to show who you are and that you are also struggling to do your own things that you had as a priority in your life. So I think just I've become better at letting that happen, like letting staff know that side of me and not just the side that's organized and planning and, you know, he looks like 
has everything under control. And <laughs> I think that that's been really important and that's a fairly new thing for me. And I just think always being, I think I'm known on the floor too, like as being supportive and being there for, for staff. And I think at first I thought that was a bit of a weakness of mine. But I know that it's more of a strength now because you want to, you want your team to know that they're all so important and they all make up the chocolate company. No, awesome. And again, lots of thank yous in the, in the, in the comment box. Again, really uh, happy with uh, your perspective. Have a a follow-up question um, because something you said really resonated with Terrence who said, I'm also really bad at asking people to do things. How were you able to turn the culture on that and get more comfortable? Yeah, it's pretty tough. It's still hard to do that. And I think it has taken my CFO and even my operations uh, manager to say, hey, wait, now I can do that. That's kind of what you pay me for. So I have become a bit better at that. As far as tips, yeah, it, it's just something that you know, recognizing the value that you bring to your team is important because you can't, sometimes when you're trying to do everything, you're not getting to the value that you alone can bring. I find that is there's only so much time that you have. (laughs) And when I'm down there on the floor making chocolate and doing all that stuff, that's really valuable too. But then at some point I have to step away from that and do the things that, that really only the CEO can do. So that's kind of looking inward at that and what fills up your time. For me, I I did, a, I think it was a week where I just wrote down everything I did each day. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I got to stop. Like, <laughs> you know, because you just, you don't realize when, and when you're an owner too, and, and you started as a family business, you often don't realize how much you're still doing and also how much you haven't written down for anyone else to do. So that if, if I'm sick for a week, often people don't know all the things, all the, the strings that I tie and all the, you know, all the little things that I do. So that's important too, is to write all that down. <laughs> anyway. No, absolutely. And, and again, thank you for your perspective on this, Christina. What's really interesting, it's a conversation, an ongoing conversation. I have my coaching practice as well. I love that you highlighted it about unique value. So what are the areas in which you add unique value to your team, to your division, to your business based on your role? And then as a guidepost about, well, how can I figure out what I could delegate? It's saying, well, who else could do this? It's really cool as you're sharing. And I love the examples you're providing where, oh, the CFO could do this or someone else can do that. And then, and it's really interesting because, and I love also your your challenge back to us is that that comes to awareness right? and self-awareness and then asking mm-hmm. ourselves those questions. And then that can assist us in terms of recognizing, well, I can't do any, everything. And I also, I love that you did essentially, it sounds like a time audit. Like, look at all the stuff that I'm doing. <laughs> and it is. it's an incredibly revealing exercise because then you go, whoa, look at the multitude of things. And I also love, and again, there's such, so many things for us to take away from what you've shared is also you go, now, what if I'm, for whatever reason, not around tomorrow, like how, or the next day or a week I'm away, like what happened? If all of this grinds to a halt, like, wow. So I've got yeah. to really start to think about that, you know, really important insights for us. Another question came from the audience, uh, from Sam wondering, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? 
it's about not taking responsibility for everybody. <laughs> um, and because that's one of the things that I do struggle with is I feel, I do feel responsible for all my team. When you, when you have Newfoundland chocolate company, when you have Newfoundland in the name, I love Newfoundland, of course, but my parents, all my family, uh, we all have such strong pride as Newfoundlanders. But it is such a responsibility. You become an ambassador for Newfoundland and you have to do, that's one of the things that I do, I guess, I hold that uh, almost a bit too high as far as making sure quality and making sure we do things right. And I, and in that way, by holding it up too high, it's certainly when you do fail at it, like if, and, and that's like, if you do make a product or you do put something out there, that's not, I guess, even, I remember one time we put out, we put out pictures and it was all our premier bunnies. It was about, oh my gosh, it was Easter and we were doing these, you know, we did the Danny, the Clyde, the Joey, oh. and it was names. Yeah. So we had all these chocolates. And when you get into politics, it can be quite tough because you get a whole bunch of different opinions of people that then they're getting angry at you because you've called some chocolates different names. And right. it's tough because the, you realize how strong people feel about Newfoundland. It's like if you call something, if uh, at one point in our marketing, uh, one of my social media corners put out uh, Newfie and oh my gosh, like it, it really, you know, you never want to insult and you never want to cause a, a negative reaction people, but boy, did that, you know, because people have this really uh, strong mixed feelings on that. Yeah. So I find having that Newfoundland name is such a privilege, but it's also quite a responsibility because you don't want, uh, you want everyone else in Canada and in the world to know about Newfoundlanders, but in the most positive, yeah, inspiring way. So <laughs> what's interesting to me, just sharing, so reflecting on my own, so being from Newfoundland originally, and, and I joke about this as well, you know, I do a lot of keynote speaking and I'll say, there's just a profound responsibility, I feel, because when I tell people, so in my, when there's a, you know, they share your bio and then when I leave this off intentionally, then I'll say, the only thing you need to know about me is I'm from Newfoundland and anywhere I am, people applaud <laughs> out and they clap and I'm like, I haven't even said anything yet. And yet there's this re reaction. And then to your point, and it just reminded me, I, I'm like, I can't be the, you know, the jerk from Newfoundland. <laughs> like that, so, because yeah. there is, to your point, yeah. uh, I think it's such a, you know, it, it is a beautiful thing that I'm extraordinarily proud of myself. And so thank you for sharing your personal journey of that. And again, lots of comments. This hour has flown by. We're really at closing in on the final lap. Yeah. It's a question I was going to ask and uh, and that was also asked by a couple of, of the live audience, the latest Brian wondering, like, what's the you've been around? Congratulations for 15 years. Like, what's a big lesson or two that you've learned across this 15 year journey? A big lesson. One big lesson. I've met. Oh, my gosh. I've made so many mistakes. I don't know what my big lesson is. I think all my mistakes are trying to turn into opportunities. <laughs> still working on those but I guess as far it's funny lessons I've learned I guess being more connected to the community that's something that it has evolved over time and I didn't realize it's been a thread throughout my whole life but I feel like 
that's something I'm proud of. I don't know if it's a lesson I've learned, but that's something I'm proud of, that we will always be connected to community. Uh, another thing is multiculturalism. I feel like we are we uh, have such a privilege to have so many different diverse staff, so many different people that have that I've worked with, and just learning their perspectives has been yeah, just has evolved me so much. I guess as a leader, <laughs> try to think of my lessons, but. I guess the interesting thing is in the beginning, we, well, not in the but one of uh, our first business plans was opening up stores across Canada. Uh, so we started these three stores in Nova Scotia. We thought, okay, we're going to have these stores and each store is going to be an amazing little chocolate inspired cafe and retail. And it's going to be stores of Newfoundland within each store. And then once we open those, I tried to evolve or we tried to evolve it a bit so that it also incorporated Nova Scotia and Atlantic Canada because we didn't want to be the ones that are like Newfoundland is more important or anything like that. We wanted to come in and have promote Newfoundland, but also start to promote, well, Newfoundland Labrador, but also start to promote Atlantic Canada provinces like Nova Scotia. So I started to make recipes and create things that based on Nova Scotia ingredients, like the, the different Hescock berries and different local business bakery goods. But I think with that and with the pandemic, the fact that I had to close those three stores and that was heartbreaking to do. I think just realizing we can build the brand through online and build uh, the, br the brand more in different ways rather than brick and mortar, because at the time it was just, it was so hard to to close those stores and the online sales and sending out to customers was a way to reach people that we couldn't reach even in our stores in Nova Scotia. We more custom, we could do more better quality. I found because of the nature of our product too, because I'm not dissing like brick and mortar stores because I really believe in people going to stores and experiencing local. I really believe in that. But I also think that when you have a product like ours that is fresh, like local ingredients, that if you ship it and it sits in a store for too long, and this was this is what was happening, I found originally in our first wholesale stores, we didn't have the right plan for that. So we just shipped out chocolate to all kinds of wholesale stores. But these wholesalers, retailers didn't actually know that it was fresh chocolate and that it couldn't be treated like other chocolates that had preservatives in them. And now our wholesalers are amazing in that they recognize how fresh our chocolate is. And they, you know, we send out the dates, dated chocolate, and they make sure like they are also ambassadors of our chocolate. So they're checking the quality and they're checking the freshness. And I could never have guessed that. I, I would never, yeah, I find when I go out to wholesalers now across Canada, I love that they know about us and I love that they love Newfoundland. And I, I think that was from the very beginning, really important to us. We wanted to get Newfoundland and all, you know, in every province kind of thing. But we just didn't know how to do it. And I think instead of our own location, sending it out to retailers and wholesalers that understood our product has made us stronger so that we no longer have quality issues and they're promoting Newfoundland too. So that's kind of cool. And one comment that I want to share, which is the great someone shared, you know, thank you for your authenticity and thank you for your openness and having such an engaging conversation. So when I, and I echo that, uh, this has been a real privilege for me 
It's been great for a multitude of reasons, not the least of which, you know, I'm from Newfoundland and love the the shared pride. And then also the story and the journey and the insights and the really great lessons and, and nuggets that you've shared with us today in terms of how we approach things and that level of awareness. I think one of the common threads we've talked about is that self-awareness and and how important it is to know who we are. And you just provided a great example of self-awareness, if you will, within the business. I absolutely love that. Thank you, Christina. This has just been absolutely awesome. <laughs> Value your time, your insights, your energy, and introducing a new expression into the Do Good to Lead Well universe. <laughs> sure. Have a great weekend, everyone. Great to see you. Bye for now. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you so much for joining me here today on Do Good to Lead Well. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you can follow me on Twitter at Craig Dowden or reach out via LinkedIn or email info at craigdowden.com. I look forward to meeting you here next week for another transformational episode.